Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't leave us on our own, but you give us one another, you give us your spirit, you give us your word. And we pray, particularly as we consider this idea of gentleness this morning, we, we pray that you would speak afresh to us. As we've just sung, where else can we go when you have the words of eternal life? So soften our hearts. Open our blind eyes, unstop our deaf ears. We might hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. From my experience, ours is a world very often that lacks gentleness. Whether face-to-face, whether online, as people engage aggressively, violently, rudely, keyboard warriors who you then meet and aren't quite so warrior-like. We live in the sort of dog-eat-dog world, the survival of the fittest world, a world that's not very gentle. In many workplaces, if you want to rise up the ranks, if you want to be successful, then you're taught this level of aggression, a fighting spirit, a spirit that means you will get the job done regardless of the cost. You will get the project across the line. Whatever that will mean, you can't can't make an omelette, can you, without breaking a few eggs, but... We're not making omelettes, and people are not eggs. People matter. Of course, since Genesis 3, there's something that's happened. As we've walked out on the God of life, our relationship with him has been affected, but it's also affected us horizontally in how we relate to each other too. In one sense, we live in a world of war, a world of division. We walk out on God, and in come the battles, whether it's the two-year-old learning how to, or trying to learn how to share with their sibling, or the seven-year-old in the playground, fighting and squabbling and pushing, and all adults, you and me, as we disagree with each other, as we find somebody annoys us or says something we don't like, and the way we respond to them, we live in a world of division and war. Or someone who wakes you up in the middle of the night needing cowpaw. And you recognise, once again, the reality of your own sin and selfishness. You look back at this last week and I would vouch that all of us will see, will remember times in which we've spoken or thought or done things that were not particularly gentle, that we look back on and feel ashamed by. Gentleness can be a theoretical idea but doesn't necessarily work out in reality in our daily lives, in the moment. It's true now. It was true then as well. The fact that Paul even has to say something about it as he writes to the church in Philippi implies that for us. It gives us an insight into something of how they were doing. If you know the letter, you will know he speaks a lot about unity at Philippi. It's hard to tell, but it seems like End of chapter one, there's pressure pushing in on the church. There's persecution, there's opposition, and the pressure from the outside as it pushes in causes kind of fractures and division within the church. You see it in our days with a football team who are losing or a political party who are losing. There are even, as Hannah read for us, did you spot a couple of very faithful ladies whom Paul addresses by name, imagine the awkwardness on a Sunday morning as they read it out, and they've fallen out with each other. So it was... um, Chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Seems like they are mature partners of Paul, gospel workers who 
who are squabbling and fighting. And so in a world that lacks gentleness, a world of relational complexity, a world of pain, a world of suffering, a world of hardship, a world of our own sin, Paul calls for us, and he calls for the Philippians, to be gentle. In fact, his, his kind of concluding exhortation in 4 verse 1, if you have a look down, you, you sense something of the warmness, his warmth, his, his love for them. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. You might be fracturing as a church, but stand firm. I, I love you. So those are some of the kind of contexts we need to consider. One, our context now, a lack of gentleness. Secondly, the context then in Philippi, this division and fracturing and squabbling, presumably, so that he even needs to mention it. And then the immediate context, context from where our verses come. 4 verse 1, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. That's the start of this final section. But before we jump in, let me just kind of catch you up with what we're doing. So I'm aware some of you won't have been around um, this last week. Um, you might have received a little postcard thing to give you some of the verses we're going to be looking at for this, um, for this six-week little, little sort of season. Um, the thing we are thinking about really is how is it that we can tick a doctrinal box to say, yes, I believe this, or yes, I agree with this, and yet then be so inconsistent in the way that we live. There is this disconnect, is the word that we're using. The message that we trust, even the words that we speak, are at odds with the story of our lives, the message that our lives proclaim. I take it we all feel something of that. I'm not even going to ask it. You will know that on a Sunday you can sing particular songs or you can read the Bible or you can agree with things and then on Monday, the way that you live doesn't quite match up. The way that I live doesn't quite match up. And so we're thinking about why that might be uh, where those areas particularly are, perhaps. But more than that, what we might do about it. How we can grow to be less disconnected, more consistent. And if you weren't here last week, or you've not had a chance to listen in, then the, the illustration, which sort of trying to hang things off, or just to keep it in your mind, or we thought about a celebrity. Do you remember a celebrity who had gone vegan for 2022? That's no comment at all, by the way, in terms of um, whether you're a vegan or not, or anything like that. But with the rest of the world, they powered through Veganuary. And they were doing so well. And then they reached their birthday in April. Do you remember? They, they go to their particular restaurant where they always go for their birthday, and they always have the same food. They always have a milkshake. They always have medium fries and a medium rare steak. And in the restaurant, they sat down, and the muscle memory kicked in. And they order their normal dish, and then the paparazzi get them, and they're busted. Well, so it is for us. We have a fundamental new identity. We are new people. And yet we so easily just slide into, without even thinking, the things that we used to do. Muscle memories kick in, and our actions, our attitudes, our priorities, our words, aren't in line with who we now are. In these bodies, in this place, we end up ordering a steak, and we've not even realised. And so this week, we're thinking about gentleness. Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let your, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I wonder if even that is 
Just something we should try and commit to memory and chew over this week. My plan for today is that we're going to zoom in on three words in particular. We're going to consider gentleness and all and near. Okay, gentleness, all and near. And we'll dig deep into each of them to try and understand what it meant for them in Philippi and what it means for us in Oxford. The context may have changed, but the challenge is still very much there and it still very much matters. So let's go first, gentleness. I wonder if one of the main reasons gentleness can get such a bad rap in our kind of culture is that it is such a misunderstood word. We don't quite get what it means. Gentleness in Bible terms is not being a doormat or being weedy or weak or fragile or a wet blanket. But I take it gentleness is rather intentionally using your strength well. So it's deliberately, intentionally not lashing out. It is not being overbearing. It is not throwing your weight around. But rather it is a deliberate, controlled choice to, to treat people with care and kindness. Because it's easy to lash out, isn't it? It is much, much harder to choose to be gentle in response. But what does the word actually mean? It's striking, I didn't know this, but as you engage with some of the commentaries and you engage with people who are far better at the original language than I am, the word that Paul uses here for gentleness really has a broad range of meaning. There is no one word in the English that quite captures exactly what Paul is getting at. So let me try and kind of scoop them up from various places and kind of give you the area that we are talking about and thinking about. If we've got a, if we've got a bag named gentleness... What ideas and concepts are we chucking in there to try and understand what Paul is getting at? What meanings should go into the bag? Some words to help you. Patience. Softness. Modesty. Generosity. Big-heartedness. One person said sweet reasonableness. Quite sure what that means. Not quarrelsome. Not violent, meek, lowly, kind, gracious. Very, very countercultural words, very, very different from our world and how you would expect to get on in our world. Wouldn't you love to be characterized by, by those kinds of words, for people to, to look at you and know you as that kind of a person? Or indeed for us to be a church characterised by those kinds of ideas. Presumably in Philippi, Paul had caught wind of what the squabbling was meaning. This division going on in the church, how that was being worked out. And so he has to speak to them. Or maybe he just knows human nature. Maybe he knows himself. Maybe he knows his own heart. And so he urges them, he commands them even to let your gentleness be evident to all. And it's obvious, I was trying to toy with whether I have three or four words. I've gone with three, but evident is really the, the second word. You can't just be gentle in theory. Having a gentle spirit is really important, but what does that actually mean? It needs to be seen in how you treat people. Not just an idea, not just in the kind of conceptual realm, but concrete reality. As you speak to that person in that situation, that meeting... As you respond in that way, you are to respond gently. 
I guess the good question for us is, as you think through this next week or as you look back on the week just gone and you think, well, when, where, with whom and why was I not gentle? Why are we not gentle with certain people in certain situations? For some of us, we we might just be the bull in the china shop. We might just lack self-awareness or actually just don't care. We just kind of charge around, bashing around over everybody, running roughshod over them and their feelings. That may just be our kind of personality type. Probably for most of us, though, it will be particular situations, particular people, particular individuals, particular triggers, particular contexts. Maybe it's with a parent or a spouse or a sibling or a housemate or, or a child or someone that we feel particularly comfortable with. We can sort of remove the mask. We can just be ourselves and not put on the act. Or maybe just somebody who particularly annoys you. They just rub you up the wrong way. And yet we're still called to gentleness. There aren't caveats from Paul. There aren't little footnotes that say, except in these situations and with those people and them. (laughs) Because he says, second word, it's to be all. So gentleness may be evident, but then all I say, we say with Paul, Paul, I'm happy to be gentle with certain people. I like most people. 95% of people are great. I'm gentle with those whom I like or those who I don't know that well or those who I know are a bit fragile and finding life hard or those I'm trying to make a good impression on because I, I would like something from them, really. And yet Paul says, all, which is massively challenging. And we say, well, Paul, hang on. What about if I've been mistreated? He says, gentle. What about if I've been misrepresented? Gentle. What about if I've been treated with hostility? He says, gentle. What about if they've just been unkind to me consistently? Gentle. What about when they they promised they would try, try harder? Gentle. And yet you will know, as I will know, that often our unthinking knee-jerk reaction is one of harshness. It doesn't mean we don't respond. It doesn't mean we don't push back. It doesn't mean we don't defend ourselves even. But it seems to me it does mean we do it in a way that is gentle. So often our our reaction is one of anger and spikiness. and, And yet Paul says the thing, one thing to mark you out is gentleness. Again, it works out, as you imagine, this week coming up. Maybe you've got your kind of mental diary that you're trying to put away for an hour or so on a Sunday morning. Get it back out again. Or you've got your, your address book. People you're going to see this next week. Different people, different contexts, different meetings, different opportunities. Some conversations face-to-face, some over the phone, some online. People you've known for years. People who bring baggage and history with the, the relationship. Maybe people you've just met and you're in a honeymoon stage or some you're fine with, some you might struggle with. Some we care what we think because we're, what they think because we're trying to impress them. Some we don't really care at all. But gentle, evident to all. Which means it's not actually even just the person sat in front of you or who you're communicating with, but it's those looking in on the conversation or the relationship with that person as well. We said it last week, our lives tell a story. 
People are watching, it matters. There's an audience. There's an audience of one, but there's an audience of everyone else as well. And yet, why are we called to live this way? That really matters. Near. The Lord is near. Now, you can take that little phrase there in different ways, and different people who have written about this verse do. The Lord is near might mean, careful, he's watching you. He's about to come back. Make sure you're on your best behaviour just in case. He's the kind of heavenly Santa Claus who's grading you to see how you're doing. Or it's the teacher and he's left the room. The classroom goes crazy, but they, he's left a little CCTV camera on and he's about to return and, and everyone is on, on their edge and behaving really well because they know that he is near, the teacher is near. And some do take it that way. I'm not convinced of that because I think it links to the next verse, actually the whole section. The Lord is near, so don't be anxious about anything. Because he is near in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It's less of a sort of challenge, more of a comfort. It's not know the teacher is coming back in the room, but do you know what? You've got a father in heaven and he loves you. He really loves you. He is smiling. He is for you. You don't need to lash out in response to what they said. You don't need to, to treat them like that because they made you feel small. You don't need to be so anxious or angry or insecure because the Lord is near and he loves you and he's for you and he's not far off from you. You're safe. You can be gentle. He's got you. I guess our question is, well, how? How do I grow in this kind of gentleness? Before we go there, just a couple of cross-references for you. Um, just in the New Testament, where the same gentle word is used, um, exactly. So 1 Timothy 3, verse 3 is helpful. Um, so before we go as to how do I grow in this, we're just thinking through, where else is this idea used? Um, Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is a kind of mentor to this Timothy guy, and he's giving him a list of qualifications for an elder, for an overseer. And we've looked at them before, but 95% of them are, are not competency, they are character. They are not gifting, they are godliness. It's not what you can do, but it's what you're like. And so have a listen to 1 Timothy 3, verse 3. The overseer or elder is not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Just a brief lay-by. I and other elders here have an extraordinary privilege in, of serving and leading and loving you guys of Magdalen Road, of shepherding. And Paul says you ought to be able to see in us a gentleness. This kind of gentleness we've just been thinking about. Please, would you pray for that in us? We need you to pray for that in us. Pray that we would be and continue to be gentle because it really matters. Not just in kind of added extra or just kind of like something quite nice to have in an elder, like kind of air conditioning that will help you at times. But actually, this is key. This is important. This is central. It, it matters in part because we are under shepherds and we are to reflect the chief shepherd. 
We are to look and to sound and to live and to respond and to react like Jesus. And so there's a second cross-reference to Corinthians 10, verse 1. Again, Paul says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. So we follow him. We as elders, overseers, we as people, as Christians. In fact, the one place in the scriptures where Jesus tells us what his own heart is like, Matthew 11, he tells us he is gentle and lowly. And so for all of us who are weary and heavy laden, and I suspect loads of us are at the moment, we go to him for rest. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He is gentle. Which then leads us to that final question of, well, how do we grow in this? I, I take it most of us will struggle at times with this idea of being gentle, of our gentleness being evident to all, the Lord is near. Let's just take that as read. How do we grow in this kind of countercultural, different community, different from the world around us, this sort of quiet revolution of gentleness, under the radar, transformative? It's worth just saying, and we were just chatting about it in there with the junior church leaders before this, it, it's always been the way that Jesus has done it. You get it through Matthew's gospel really clearly. Matthew sets out the credentials for Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the one you've been waiting for. Look, we tick prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. He's, he's the one with the power to heal. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one. He's the king that God promised, and we're all there on edge of our seat. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? He's going to change the world. How does he change the world? And he opens his mouth, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn and the pure in heart. And we're like, oh, I thought you were going to come and throw your weight around a bit. Come and deal with the oppression of the ruling powers. Come and, come and sort things out, please. Come and bring some order into the chaos. Come on. And, and you start like that? That's your plan? And yet, that is the kind of king that he is. That is the kind of kingdom that he leads paradoxical, topsy-turvy, upside-down, unexpected, not how we would plan to do it, full of people in a world of polarisation and anger who are gentle. So how can we grow in gentleness? My first one is follow gentle Jesus. Follow gentle Jesus. There we go. Our Christian life is always to have a Jesus shape to it. It's worth just saying at this point that some of us will have a disposition towards gentleness. It is part of your character. It is part of how you are wired, whether through nature or nurture, or some of us just temperamentally are more gentle. I'm not going to name names, but you know, you look around the room and you might see folk in the room today like that or people in your lives, or family members, or friends, and they just kind of ooze this kind and gentle and quiet spirit. And for them, this verse, they're like, huh, doing all right? Um, it's relatively easy. And then others of us are the opposite. Feisty, full-blooded, rhino-like, charging around the place, speaking our mind, offending three people for breakfast. I'm not going to mention any names. <laughs> but I could. 
I think the point for each of us is, though, is, is not so much what distance have we travelled, but what direction are we facing? That is, are we looking to Christ? Is he the direction that we are going? Is our face set towards him? Are we seeking to follow him? Where he went, we go. He is gentle. Gentle and lowly. Again, that didn't mean he was a doormat. There was a right time for righteous anger. He overturned tables. He spoke particularly sternly to Pharisees and their self-righteousness, blindly leading people away from God. But at heart, he was gentle. He is gentle. As Isaiah put it, a bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. You know, the candle, there's barely the flicker left. Just a fragile little speck of orange light. Tiniest disturbance would just snuff it out. Yeah, as a friend puts it, as Jesus is able to deploy his care with such surgical forensic precision that the most delicate and fragile of things can be taken and nurtured with utter care and protection. Isn't that beautiful? Maybe you feel something like that at that moment. Just a flicker left. You're almost, almost snuffed out. And you're thinking, can I trust him? And you can. He won't. He won't blow you out. I love this. As you see it in the Gospels, whether it's Jesus with, as he engages with the outcasts of society, the people that others crossed the road to avoid, or the tax collectors, the so-called sinners, the ostracized, the excluded, the, the shunned. He's gentle with them. He's gentle too with his disciples. Think of Peter, so often so stupid. There he is, jumping in with both feet, then having to remove his foot from his mouth, which I'm not quite sure the metaphor's mixed in that way, but you know what I mean. Or those betraying him, those crucifying even. He, he calls on his father to forgive the crowds. They don't know what they're doing. His, his strength and his resolve meant that gentleness overflowed. He doesn't tramp over people. He doesn't bulldoze people. He might be a serpent crusher, but he can hold the most fragile and the most flimsy in his care. He's got you. Our chief shepherd is gentle. Under shepherds are to be gentle. We're all to be gentle. We have the privilege, the extraordinary privilege of allowing a cynical watching world to see something of what he is like. We do it imperfectly. But nonetheless, we embody something of this gentleness in the way that we relate to people. Maybe it is those who have been shunned. Maybe it is the foolish people like Peter. We're to be something like him as we engage with them. And we say, well, how? How do we do that? I can't do that. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I just can't. And he says, I know. It's not about you. I'll help you. In fact, I'll tell you what. I will come and I will put my spirit in you. And slowly but surely, day by day, I will enable you and I will shape you to be more like me. And so our second one, so as far as I read in the New Testament, there's, there's something of an inevitability that ought to grow in us in gentleness. 
It's part of the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus. That is, if you are a believer here this morning, the Bible says you have a heart of flesh now. It is moldable and shapeable and it's transforming and your spirit lives, his spirit lives in you now and you have the privilege daily of putting off the old self and putting on the new self and you sow to the spirit and not to the flesh now and you're in Christ and not Adam now. And with his spirit living in us, he will grow us in Christ-likeness. He will grow you to be more like Jesus in love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Bit by bit, day by day, slowly but surely, his Holy Spirit making us more like him. We thought about it with the kids last week with the escalator. That was a great illustration from Matt. He is making you into a new person. He is moving you, shaping you. God is at work in you. The trouble is we try and turn around and go the wrong way or do things in our own strength. But he's making us more like him. Daily, humbly. Sowing to the new self. There's an inevitability about that, it seems to me. Often we think of sanctification as being what I'm not allowed to do anymore, I can't do those things, but actually there's a sense in which it is becoming more like Christ. It's a a vivification, if you like. So if both those things are true, number one, we are to follow in the footsteps of Christ. Number two, you know his spirit is living in you and changing you. Why is it still such a slow process? Why do we struggle? Why this coming week will, I guess, most of us not be gentle in certain situations and contexts? whether those things come out or whether they are still internalised. Morden Road, know this, thirdly. We are safe in gentle Jesus. Number three, I've made it firm, so it's three Fs. I'm still trying to work through this alliteration thing. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But we are firm in gentle Jesus. We are safe. What does that mean? I reckon if I were to ask you... Let's look back over this last week, and I say, okay, in that situation, that scenario there, why did you lash out on on Tuesday? Why did you lash out at them? And you keep asking why and why and why, and you keep going back further and further. Why did you get angry? I got angry because they didn't listen to me. Okay, why did that make you angry, them not listening to you? Well, because they never listened to me. Okay, why does that make you angry? Because it makes me feel unknown, it makes me feel unheard. Why does that make you angry? Because I feel like my words don't count. I feel rejected. I feel excluded in some way. Why does that make you feel angry? Because I feel worthless. I feel like I don't count. Or however it goes for you. Whatever your situation, whatever your scenario. Ask the why questions and get as far back as you can. Recognising that hearts are deceitful. But go as far back as you can. And probably you will know you or or what or who presses your buttons. And so slow down, take the time, track it back. And I wonder, it's often like we get kind of caught up in a revolving door of going round and around and around in our insecurities, analysing how people treat us and what they think of us and why, and we sort of ruminate on it, such that we then just kind of blast people. We get stuck in it. And we can't escape this sort of loop of analysis and insecurity and identity struggling, and we're... We're looking to them for worth in some way, or whatever it is. And yet I wonder if we had more of a grasp of who we were in Christ, of 
our safety, that we are firm, if you like, that we can afford to be gentle because the Lord is near. We've said before that so often pastoral issues and struggles essentially at root come down to a kind of identity amnesia. We forget who we now are in Christ. We forget what he thinks of us. We forget the value and worth that he gives us. And we get so angry because of how people treat us. And in one sense, that's right, because that is righteous anger. But in another, it's often self-righteous anger. But you are safe, you are firm in gentle Jesus. Which means you can let stuff go. It's okay, he's got you, he loves you. Your worth and your value comes from him. And in a fallen and a broken world like this, and in a room like this this morning, or if you're online, welcome. Um, All of us are people who have both sinned and been sinned against. We've both received a lack of gentleness towards us, and we've given it to you. But it's the same thing. We are firm. We are safe in him. You can trust in him. You can find your worth and your identity in him. You don't need to lash out. He's got you. He loves you. He's smiling. What he thinks of you matters more than what they think of you. Who you are now in Christ matters more. Let's pray. But we're going to, as we pray, we're going to use this as an opportunity for um, a time of confession where we get to say sorry to God. And know afresh our forgiveness and his love and kindness shown to us. Lord, as we as we look at as we feed upon, as we reflect on your gentleness to us the lowly and gentle heart of Jesus as we see that beauty it highlights something of our ugliness the way in which we've spoken and lived and thought this last week in ways that have not been gentle in ways that have not honoured you in ways that as your children ought not be there. And so we're sorry. We're sorry for what we've thought and said and done, not thought, not said, not done, that we ought. And so we thank you afresh for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is gentle and humble in heart. Thank you that in him we find rest for our souls. Lord, be at work in us as we've, as we've reflected this morning. We thank you for your spirit. Thank you that your spirit is changing us more into the likeness of Jesus. Thank you for the new identity that we have in him and we pray that increasingly we would by the Spirit, live that out. 
And we pray very simply that as individuals and as a church, we would grow in these things. We long to be a community known for gentleness. And we pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name.